Hi all, welcome to Addiction to Recovery. Our purpose and passion is to bring you not only the science of addiction, but also the patient perspective and the relationship between the two. Okay, so episode two. Hi, Heather. <laughs> we don't need to repeat the title because it just said it. It did, yeah. It did just say it. So what gonna, are we doing today? I'm going to get really sick of listening to myself talk, I think. So today we're going to give people a little bit of a definition of what addiction actually is. Yes, and that's, uh, that's a big part because a lot of people don't even understand what addiction is, why it happens. Right. You know. It's it's happens to anybody. I'm so glad though that people who've listened, thank you, those of you who have listened, tell your friends the feedback we've gotten because people in our world, in my world, in you know the world you've lived in, we all know what addiction is. It just seems like everybody knows, but it's like the reality is everybody doesn't know. So I think it was good feedback that we should probably explain what addiction is, so people can kind of understand it a little bit more. Well, and I think it's important because the reality is, is most people have somebody they know that is dealing with addiction or somebody they love that is, has a loved one dealing with addiction and they really don't understand what it is. Don't understand. It's all the, just don't do it. It's that, that, that eulogy. I'm, I'm going to get permission to like talk about that eulogy or have that guy on because he just wrote a eulogy for his son. You've read it. And the whole don't use drugs. Hey, thanks. I'll tell my kid that they're just going to stop. No. So anyway, so we're going to kind of explain it a little bit and, and really what addiction is in the biopsychosocial. We're going to call this the neurobiology because that's what it's called. And that's what I like to geek out on. But the reality is, is no one cares. True. True. You understand it a little bit. Kind of have to when you live addiction. You know, that's uh, something you need to understand before you can truly you know, address it. But the flip side is, I think you understood it, obviously living through it, but I think you don't understand why. True. Yeah. But you know? even when I did understand it, I really struggled at putting it into practice. You know, I, I, that's the part that probably was the most frustrating is that I understood what was going on, yet I continued to do it. And I think that that is something that people forget is that it's not really a choice. Right. You know, once you get into that, it's it's really difficult to even consciously making a decision to stop or to not go down that path again. Okay, you're segueing, and you gave me a good. I was trying to figure out how to segue, and then you just brought it to me. And here is, you just said that you wanted to stop, but you just couldn't, and you didn't really understand why. And I think that's important for people to understand is that most people who are using drugs or alcohol or whatever else don't really want to be doing it. No. But why? What do you, what are you feeling inside? Like, I think people think that it's such a destructive disease and everyone's being selfish and they just want to use drugs, but that's not the reality. Well, when you start in, it is fun. I'm not going to lie. There's a good feeling you get. You feel, um, we'll explain that. Yeah, a sense of euphoria. <laughs> um, but in the end, you know, my can, you know, my situation, I had so many negative consequences from my use that eventually the only way to live with myself was to stay numb and continue using. And the hard part was to, you know, what kept me from really truly st staying sober was the pain that was brought in from being sober. Now I have to deal with all the things that happened 
from my actual addiction. One way to think about that is think about a bad day just in general. Like a regular person who's not using anything has a bad day and or a couple of days and you have to deal with it. And those days can be hard and we all have our own coping mechanisms that to get through it. Now imagine years of bad days that you've never dealt with and then you stop using drugs and now you're dealing with seven years worth of bad days all in one day or year or however long it takes to, to maintain that recovery. And I think people don't get that. No, and, and especially, <laughs> you know, I almost felt when, when, I, when I came out of my first real hardcore addiction, uh, I, woke, I, I came out of it and I was like, that's not me. I didn't do those things. This was somebody that had taken over my life. Sure. It was like a Jekyll and Hyde thing. You know, there was this totally different character that took over. And now I'm sober, but now I have to face the consequences of what that, that other person that, that person did. And I and I would I would just not be able to handle that that consequence it was so difficult for me. You know, especially when it came to my family and my career. Um, you know, it led me down a path of just total destruction because I truly didn't care when I went back into use. So when we're talking about this, and it's kind of, you've kind of alluded to it a lot, is is the addiction is different than other diseases and the fact that there's a part of it that's intrapersonal, meaning it's all within oneself. So that is where, you know, that self-image stuff, self-respect, the shame, the stuff that people carry inside. You know, a, a person who has cancer doesn't feel shameful that they have cancer you know, they're dealing with all the other stuff with it, but they're not feeling it. They're not having self-image things because of the diagnosis, not things that go with it maybe, but it's not such a shameful thing like addiction is. Correct. I mean, I always said that addiction is the only disease you can get and be scrutinized for it or be ashamed of it. And, you know, there is still, even though it's been recognized as, an, as a disease for quite some time, there's still that debate within people of is it a choice or is it a disease you know? right which then is if we're adding other people and that aspect is that's what we typically think of as that interpersonal so we're talking all the consequences like you mentioned the family things the legal things all of the things which reminds me there was a hockey game last night <laughs> I even watched it. I'm so proud of you. Oh, yeah. Um, that, you know, and going to that, you know, first of all, it was a great series, you know, and my team's winning. But this is something I, I noticed know. this great year. Great series when they won in four. Yeah, well, there's a lot of great games. There's a four <laughs> overtime one in the beginning. But these are the, some of the things that I recognize in my life now that I had totally lost interest in in my addiction. I mean, let's, let's be real. I was a high school hockey coach. I spent most of my life working or playing in hockey. And I went up all the way to the point where I really fell off the, the world in 2015, focused on hockey. And, and, and once I was in that full-time addiction, I couldn't care less. Mm -hmm. Hockey, I, I couldn't even tell you who won the Stanley Cup for a good six-year span. Neither can I. <laughs> yeah. But for, for someone like me to, to totally fall off, that just shows you what addiction does to your interpersonal, you know, values and your beliefs and your and your what brings you joy. And now this year, and and last year too, but this year even more, I am so enjoying those little things in life. I'm, I'm golfing again. 
I'm watching the Stanley Cup playoffs. <laughs> I'm I'm getting out. You know, I'm I'm enjoying life again. And you know, I was talking to a friend the other day as I was fishing, and recognizing the fact that I hadn't fished in any of those years that I did, I was in addiction. I love fishing, you know. And I told him, I said, I was like a vampire. I did not want to see anyone or the light of day. And that was, that to, for me now, I mean, being outside and have, being in nature, and it's just, it brings it back. I can't believe how little interest I had in those things that truly meant something to me over all those years in addiction. We're just going to segue into an episode coming up very soon about what I like to call the adulting part of the brain, where why would you make these talk? choices at the expense of all these other things you love whether it's fishing and golf and hockey and or your kids or your job or your family because I think that's where people typically have issues is why would you do that when you have kids or whatever and we'll get into that but that's a huge 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 part and that's that word choices Mm -hmm. is very much a, a, a hot topic when it comes to people in addiction because they really look back and they feel like they didn't have that choice. I mean, it was it was painful to try and go and do some of those things that we loved, you know, it, with their kids. Think about it, you know that's that is the one thing that I I still struggle with as far as forgiveness of self was that I I was away from my kids, mm-hmm. you know, and and in time, you know, with that's that's the thing that keeps people using is because they're so ashamed of the fact that they walked away from such a wonderful life or whatever. And people will look at you and, and you'll, and a lot of it is self-fulfilling prophecy that you, you end up going further and further in. Right. But you know, you're afraid that everybody's saying, Oh, look at what he wasted. You know, he's such a, you know, deadbeat for going off. And and a lot of that is the, the things that you're saying to yourself. It's not so much what people are saying about you. It's what you're saying to yourself. And you're, and you're using what other people would say about you as an excuse. Okay, so we're going to segue again. Is to, you know, why certain people, why, we'll get into your story. I think it's the next episode we'll talk into how this all got started for you. But why some people get that first prescription or get that first whatever and progress and why some people don't. So that is what, in essence, we're going to talk about here is the actual disease process and why some have it and some don't why some people can eat a donut 500 times a day and never become diabetic and some can. Same thing. But before, I want to kind of geek out a little bit because we actually got to hear this guy speak, Dr. Krub, who is like the godfather of addiction medicine. And when we were in Atlanta speaking this year. Oh, I remember. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, oh my God, oh my God, right after Nora. Yeah. Like, oh my gosh. So I'm going to give you the actual official definition. Not that anyone really wants to know the official definition, but I'm going to because it's Dr. Koob. So addiction is a chronic relapsing syndrome that moves from an impulse control disorder involving positive reinforcement to a compulsive disorder involving negative reinforcement. And we'll explain what negative and positive reinforcement are shortly. But anyway. That's a lot. Got to geek out. I mean, that's that, there's a lot in there. A lot in there. You know, we could break that down. I wonder how long it took him to come up with that quote. I'm sure, there's. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure it wasn't on one try. <laughs> you know, the, but there, like I said, there is a lot in there that we could really break down, and and kind of make it. I don't like using the word dumbing down, but Mm-mm. it's it's more of like explaining, you know, what that is in real life. 
Right. Exactly. That's what you're for. I nice, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> okay, so the basic model. What is addiction in layman's terms, if you will? It is technically this biopsychosocial illness. And what that means is there's a lot of things that all play in and for whatever reason certain people's brain switch happens and some people's don't. And when the switch gets turned on, we have addiction and when it doesn't, we don't. So biologically, we know that about fifty percent of people who have an addiction like it's it's heritable. So you have a 50/50 chance if it's in your family of having some type of an addiction or use disorder. Both parents have a use disorder, you have seven times increased risk of having a use disorder. So very very common. And then if you have any kind of mental health diagnosis, even more common. So biology does play a role. But I want to reassure people that just cuz you have a family history doesn't mean you too will automatically have it. Um, but it's something to definitely be aware of. Well, and I, I think I mean, you've a, seen those families and you've seen people in treatment and yeah, I mean, I, I generations see it all the time. I mean, let's face it. I mean, drug addiction is, is fairly new. Let's face it. I mean, alcoholism is what really goes back, mm-hmm. you know, when there, there's data and, you know, it started with the, the Alcoholics Anonymous with, uh, Bill and Bob that started this uh, Alcoholics Anonymous group, and they really pinpointed the fact that there is a disease here. Right. You know, that people drink themselves to death, and they know what they're doing, but they can't stop. Did you know, you know though, that heroin was used to help, pe- help people coming back from the wars who got addicted to morphine after having, like— you know, amputations and all these war traumas. They got addicted to morphine in the other countries. They'd come back and they'd be treated with heroin. Heroin was actually the first medication-assisted treatment. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Isn't that interesting? Now we use medical-assisted treatment to get people off of heroin. Exactly. Because heroin, I wish, I wish it was the good old days of heroin, actually. But, you know, <laughs> so stupid. Well, I think that it's important to look at this and, you know, anybody that may be debating whether or not it's a disease that they're people spend lots and lots of time gathering data, you know, studying, you know, people and, and in society and looking at, looking at the disease itself. And, and like it said, breaking down, is this a hereditary uh, instance or is it, you know, socially? I, I think that it's important for people to understand that there are people that are studying this and trying, right. there's this attempt to try and, and understand it better so that, that we can treat it better. Right. And so not only, though, does biology play a role, you know, so this is the interplay of all of neurobiology. So biology is one component that can lead to addiction. And then psychologically, the psychosocial illness, the psychological part is, I think, where most people like to sit, like society. When I say most people, like society, who all thinks they get an opinion on everything, society likes to sit thinking that people are just using to numb their pain. People are just using to treat themselves. Like, I think... If you were to anecdotally do a cross-section, why do you think people use drugs? Well, to make themselves feel better. You know, you come home from work and you have a glass of wine because you just, you're anxious. Like, that is kind of where people go in their heads, I think. Um, actually, there are studies, though, that show that some people will use, you know, alcohol to kind of bring down that anxiety, the stress of the day. But then there's other studies that show just doing that actually brings on more stress of the day. And so then you have that chicken or the egg phenomenon going on and on and on and on. And I think that that is, I mean, to me, 
Yes. It's very obvious what happens. You know, that progression. For me, when I was younger, um, drinking was a way for me to feel accepted. And then it became a crutch. Then it became anxiety producing because I was drinking too much or I couldn't get a hold of the liquor when I was underage, you know. And so there's all sorts of things that play into it. And it became, I became a slave to it. Right. You know, and that, that I think is something that happens to people even when they're just trying, like you said, to have some alcohol after work to wind down. Well, if you have that gene or that, if you do have that tendency to, for addiction, that is going to escalate because that one glass of wine is no longer going to be enough. And pretty soon it's two and pretty soon it's three and pretty soon it's a bottle. Right, right. And, and you just build up this tolerance. And before you know it, you can't go to sleep without having five glasses of wine. So I'm going to totally go on a tangent here because we're talking about wine and we're talking about that. And which makes me think of this phenomenon that happens in women versus men. Guys tend to start using substances and they gradually and gradually and gradually become gradually more and more addicted. But their process of addiction tends to be longer. Women tend to start later, but then escalate very fast. It's called telescoping. And I mean, we can go into the differences in men and women. I always like to say that's because they had all the kids and then all of a sudden they have the stress and then it just goes over the top. But that's actually a phenomenon. So especially if we're looking at alcohol with you know, ages. And, you know, I've had numerous female patients that never drank a thing until they were like in their mid thirties. And the next thing you know, they're drinking that bottle or two every night. So it doesn't always have to go back to how much did you drink in high school? No, it doesn't. Um, but I don't want to <laughs> underplay <laughs> the, the, the need to talk about the dangers of starting too early either. You know, the, I think that <laughs> this is going to come the, up a thousand times. Yeah. I mean, let's face it. I mean, we both have kids that are, are you know, going up into the ages mm. of where we're, we're nervous about that. And they're the, all going to be like I was. Uh, yeah, I hope <laughs> like so. You. I hope they weren't like, they're not going to be like me. Um, but, it, you know, it, it's that, it's that understanding that the brain is not developed yet. And that is a big danger, you know, if they start too early. You know, I've always... When I was that teaching, episode six, five. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> when I was teaching it, you know, I'd tell kids the, the importance of, you know, getting later in life before you even open that door. Mm-hmm. So I'll have to pull my friend Sarah in. We talk about cannabis in this. Totally. We're not going down that tangent right now. Not yet. Not even sort of. We'll get, we'll get the cannabis discussion in before August 1st, y'all. And if you live in Minnesota, that's when it becomes legal. Yeah. So we'll get that conversation in before that day. Yeah, don't oh. worry, that's coming. <laughs> that's coming. It's probably going to come back a lot of times. Okay, so the last component to the biopsychosocial is the social. And so this is involving all social and environmental factors. So if you grow up in a house where there's substances being used, I mean, that is in your environment. Now it's normalized. Um, we know that people who grow up in lower, lower socioeconomical um, kind of areas, demographics, tend to have higher risk factors. Um, people who have poor parental support or guard, you know, people monitoring them or all of that. ACE scores, more trauma as a younger person, increased risk. So these are all about, very important. Can you just talk about ACE score once? Just a quick, what is an ACE score? Oh my gosh. This will be like six episodes as well. It's what I jam on also. 
Okay, A score is adverse childhood experiences. It was a study done. Basically, it's a um, 10-point question on did these things happen to you before you turned 18 and or graduated high school. Things like were your parents divorced? Did someone use drugs? Did someone go to jail? Did someone die? die? Did someone abuse you physically, sexually, emotionally? Were you neglected? Were you lacking in all the things? And I might have already listed all 10 of them really quickly. The higher your score, the higher your chance of having... One, not only an addiction, two, increased suicidal issues, at least suicidal attempts and or ideations, but also increased chances of cancer, diabetes, heart disease. So it's not just addiction. It's all diseases. What about mental health? Yes, for sure. For sure. Do you know having an A score of seven or higher, which is not that high of a population, has that number, but seven or higher, your chance of having attempted suicide one time, 1,400 time, percentage Higher than the general population. Wow. Four or higher is when all the risks of all the addictions go up. Yeah. We'll have a whole conversation about a score. So. Sounds good. So anyway, you have the biopsychosocial. This brain switches, and now we have addiction. The important part of why we talk about the biopsychosocial is those are, except for biology, clearly. You can't modify that. Those are modifiable, meaning that this is where I think a lot of prevention can come in. We're looking at you know childhood traumas. We're looking at... Um, supporting people who have, you know, need that support so kids aren't growing up in these environments, um, you know, helping treat mental illness, making it not so stigmatized so people can have these things modified to then change the outcome, one, in developing an addiction, and two, in treating it. So what you're saying, this is this can be an area where this can be preventative. Can be preventative. Especially with the youth. I mean, this is this is one of the things that's passionate to me is the high school age. Mm-hmm. That's where I got, used to teach. Oh, but let's go <laughs> real. We need to get to the elementary schools at this point. In that's society. true. I'm Middle just, school. Yeah, I get it. It's, high school is way too late. Yeah. No. no, I get it. But I mean, that these are the areas that we can actually do some preventing and you know the the whole and hereditary. Education. Yeah, yeah. The the educational system has an opportunity to actually make a difference in the, in the addiction world. And if only the funding like to go to prevention. <laughs> right. I mean, it's hard. I can't, I can't doubt people or, you know, fault people. If people are dying, you have to do something about that right now. So you're downstream, but we got to go upstream. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've felt like that for a long time. I was passionate about that, you know, four years ago when I was in treatment, you know, just thinking about what, why this happened to me, you know, that's, I, I've thought about that a lot, you know, because I believe there's always a reason for something. You know, I'm not going to get on a, a pedestal and start talking about, you know, my faith yet. But I believe that God has a pr- plan for me. Yet. God has a plan for me. And so why did Disclaimer, all these things happen? Disclaimer, we're not pushing any agendas. No, we're not. Okay. But but I, I know there's a reason. And I think one of the parts, one of the reasons is, is because I've had so much experience working in that field of youth. And so. Yeah. The other thing. Yes, prevention, huge. We will get into prevention topics. We're going to pull in my friend, Colleen. She might not know it yet, but we're pulling her in anyway. And different prevention efforts. But these are also things that need to be monitored in a person who is in recovery. The biopsychosocial, again, not biology as much, the psychosocial aspects of life um, with people in recovery because those are the things that are going to trigger a lapse or a relapse as well. And those are the higher risk things for that. And now we hear a lot more and that's okay. Cool. Um, but I think, I think it's important also to say understanding why somebody got to where they got to is important. You know, somebody was sitting in treatment going, why did I get here? How did I, 
you know, and, and understanding that this, there was a social aspect to that, that wasn't their fault, right? you know, because sometimes people think, well, I, my parents never, my parents never drink. They, they, I mean, I don't, th I think my dad had one cigarette and had about equivalent of five drinks in the last 10 years, <laughs> you know, and my mom is the same way. So you think about it, well, it must not run the family, you know, it must not be hereditary for me. Well, it's important to know that it's not always that Correct. and it's not choices. It's, you know, there's so much addiction is so riddled with, with shame. And, right. and I think that that's why people continue to use is they're so ashamed of what they've done. Mm -hmm. So understanding why is a big part of recovery. That was one of my, not, I didn't ever ask it as directly as some people, but especially when I worked in the jails, that was Again, the greatest job because you get to really sit down and talk with people. And if you can build that rapport and you have a few tattoos to build the rapport a little bit easier, you can ask those questions of not just, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's not just, what did you do? Because I don't care. I never, ever, ever knew what a person that was sitting in front of me in a jail ever did when I talked to them. Never. But asking the question, what happened to you? Simple as that. People look at you and they're like, oh, what? Like, no, what happened to you? Like, you know, it, it's really, it, like you said, it's like, what led to this? Now, I don't care what's happened since. When you're in jail, you're dealing with it. But I don't know. It's what happened to people. Well, and that's the one thing before we wrap up. I just want to say that that love is the is the, the antidote to um, addiction. You can give a shout out to who said love wins. Well, love wins. Hi, Mike. Um, <laughs> I think love always will win. And, and that's the reason why I made it. I believe it because people continue to love me through my addiction. And so the, you know, going back and, and kind of wrapping up this is understanding that, that somebody you love that's in addiction isn't choosing to be this way. You know, there's that person, that child that you used to hug and would run up to you and give you a big hug or you'd watch them playing t-ball, or you'd watch them uh, on the swing set, they're still in there somewhere. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to find that person, and you got to love that person. You don't have to love the addiction. You don't have to, you know, enable in any way, but you can love, mm -hmm. and that will help people come out and at least have that that drive to find the recovery that, that we all are looking for. That's why we have, that's why we started this podcast is because we want everybody to find the recovery that I've found. Well, and help bridge those gaps. Right. Knowing how to have those conversations, knowing, understanding your perspective from my perspective. And people in my world know how to have and appreciate and respect the patient perspective too. Well, and, then, and this is, this is a, a really good example for, for families. I mean, I think, I think this podcast can help a lot of families. Not only is it going to help people coming into recovery, it's going to help the families. And eventually we're going to bully your parents into this. Well, yeah, I think they're, <laughs> they're well um, informed on that. But, you know, I do want to, before we're done, I do want to say if there's people out there that have a topic that they, they feel like they need help with, you know, they can email us. Um, if you are friends of mine, you can get a hold of me and ask me personally. 
But I know Heather is going to share the email address <laughs> that, that you can email any questions to. Questions, feedback, comments, recommendations, anything you might want us to talk about to hear from either one of our perspectives or to hear both sides. So email address is addiction to the number two recovery podcast at Gmail. So the name of the podcast, Addiction to Recovery Podcast at Addiction Gmail. to Recovery Podcast at, at gmail.com. gmail.com. So don't forget the podcast. Yes. Yes. Well, I think we we uh, accomplished our goal for this episode. I think we didn't even accomplish all of it, but that was great. I think this was even better. Yeah. All right. Hockey game tonight? You're going to watch? Dallas, Vegas. Vegas. Yeah. Dallas. Okay. We'll see. I told my kids I'd watch a movie with them, so we'll see. (laughs) All right. Thank you, everybody. Have a good night.